Welcome to the We Are Next podcast, advice and insight from all over the advertising industry to help you navigate your career with confidence. I'm Natalie Kim. And I'm Jordan Shank, Director of Marketing at Impossible Foods. And thanks for listening. Hi, everybody. It's Natalie, and welcome to episode 12. My flight to New York leaves in two days. I'm so excited. My first stop is actually Syracuse University, where I'll be guest speaking at the Newhouse School. And it's sort of the first guest lecture of the year after kind of a slower summer. You know, people aren't in school, so there's no need. But I'm really excited to get back into it and start meeting students in person again. It's one of my favorite parts. Also, can we talk about how the New York City meetup hit full capacity for our RSVPs in less than 24 hours? Thank you guys so much for everyone who RSVP'd. I can't wait to see you. Everyone else, there is a wait list open. So if you'd like to come, sign up and we'll do our best to get you in. And you can always follow along with the trip on Instagram stories. I get pretty active on IG stories whenever I'm traveling. And so follow along at Natalie Y. Kim on Instagram. Other exciting news for you guys, I'm really proud to announce that We Are Next is partnering with the American Advertising Federation for this academic year. So if you're part of an AAF student chapter, look out for We Are Next content that will start showing up in the monthly email that they send out. I met Jordan Shank, Director of Marketing at Impossible Foods, about five years ago during an interview. And we recently reconnected after both moving to the West Coast and happened to be in LA at the same time. And so we got to record in person. And if you don't know what Impossible Foods is, you've probably seen its first product, the Impossible Burger, which is beef, ground beef made entirely from plants that cooks and tastes and smells like real meat. Jordan worked in strategy on the agency side before moving in-house to Impossible Foods and lends really great perspective on how her agency experience prepared her for what she does as director of marketing. I had so much fun catching up with her, so let's get to it. Enjoy. So we're here at the Line Hotel in LA. We first connected a while ago, like at least Probably five years. Yeah, five years ago. <laughs> In New York, maybe longer. Actually, I think probably longer. In New York, and you had been talking with my boss about a job at Firstborn, and so I think we might have done an interview or a phone call or something like that. And flash forward to more recently, um, we both moved to the West Coast, and you happened to be in town for work. And so we got to record in person, so this is like very fortuitous. (laughs) So I'm excited to have this conversation, especially uh, in the role you're in right now. So... Why don't we get into it? So I always like to start these conversations by asking how you got to where you are today and how specifically how you got your start in the industry. So can you talk about kind of the journey from being a student to you mm-hmm. know your first time job? Yeah, so I didn't think that I was going to be in advertising at all. Yeah. When I was a student, I studied, um, well, first I thought I would study psychology. And this is, you know, the standard student journey where you... <laughs> soul searching for god knows what yeah and then i found my way to business in which i was doing quite a bit of finance and then also uh, learning mandarin chinese so i had this really kind of idyllic dream where i would be living in asia and working on on mergers and acquisitions and or in investment banking and and going that route obviously that didn't that didn't go down um and then I ended up 
I mean, really, I ended up thinking I was going to do this work um, and then meeting someone by the name of Jennifer Elliott, who was a professor at the U of O, had newly come in as a PhD student, but PhD students are professors as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, And my mom had known her. They had worked together. And she's like, you got to meet this woman. She's like everything that you would want to be. But she came from the other side of the country. She'd just come from New York. And sure enough, she was like everything you would imagine someone who had been working um, in advertising and marketing and publishing in New York, just absolutely glamorous and articulate (laughs) and bold and, you know, swearing (laughs) and, you know, that kind of like her whole persona and allure was really, was really super cool. And she essentially mentored me in exchange and in exchange for just watching her kids every few, um, every few times a week. And when you're in school, you know, yeah. a couple 20 bucks here and a bit of advice. Yeah. A small price to pay. It's <laughs> yeah. a small price to pay. So she actually, um, ended up being an individual in my life who just pushed me towards the industry. I still, um, you know, I still upon graduation went and worked, um, in a finance job mm-hmm. and that quickly fizzled as in it was absolutely miserable and it wasn't what I wanted to do for yeah. the rest of my life and so you know I sure enough I called up Jennifer Elliott and she's like well you know I have a friend and this is right at the time of the crash of yeah. the, the market and everyone in the industry was getting just slaughtered like yeah. everyone's getting laid off everyone's budget doesn't exist anymore from the client side um and so the industry was in a really really shitty place and one of her friends um actually had just founded an agency called Emblem and they were a spin-off out of inner brand. So mm-hmm. it was a bunch of inner brand, really traditional kind of planning. I mean, if you know an inner brand planner is like next to I mean, I would say the, the shop coming out of London that had the first planner. It's like they BBH. were Yeah, and yeah. The, the next round was like inner brand right. was bringing more of the McKinsey aspect to planning where there was much more rigor around business and economics and weaving that into briefs where you were you were building business impact brief versus right. just a creative brief. Um, I didn't even think the word design thinking existed then, but right. <laughs> nor did the word influencer right. or content. Um, a simpler time. <laughs> a simpler time. And yeah, and then I, I ended up just quitting my job, dumping my boyfriend, moving across the city in two weeks, uh, or city, country, yeah. moving across the country. I uh, had never gone to New York before and took a job as an intern after having worked for almost a year. Um, and I knew I had to do it because it was a way in and it was yeah. it was simple enough. Yeah. Uh, so I jumped and then I started working there and I was there um, for about a year. Mm-hmm. They kind of flipped me over to this con- consulting contract type of thing because they were small and never had headcount and we're just figuring everything out. Right. Uh, yeah. And that's, that's where I, I got in, but it wasn't, I mean, I'm sure like everyone else, it was just a series of fortunate events where you just had to take a little bit of risk and know a few people. Mm-hmm. It's great that you had someone though to kind of look up to and yeah. who could kind of guide you the right way in, you know, knowing you and then yeah. knowing kind of what sort of work might be, um, fulfilling to you. Um, 
this is important, I think, the way that you make your way into the industry. Not yeah. that there's like one way to do it for any given person. I'm sure there are a lot of different paths in, but I mean, just like your experience in finance, like you knew very quickly, like this is not. <laughs> this is not it. Right, right. Um, my spreadsheets are too beautiful with not enough. <laughs> um, it's not enough. What is it? Like tabulations, you know? Yeah. Like my sheets my sheets weren't linked, but they looked really good. <laughs> yeah. Um, you got that part down. Yeah. So you had mentioned sort of the type of strategy that you were doing at Emblem at the beginning based yep. on kind of what kind of company it was. And then throughout your agency career, you know, you've worked at a few different shops under different strategy-related titles, like content slash digital strategist, <laughs> interactive strategy, strategy lead. Yeah. And I think strategy, especially in the industry, is so amorphous in terms of like what it, what do you say you actually do here? Yeah. Like, and how do you define that at all these different shops? So I was wondering if you can talk about the differences, if there were differences, between what you were doing at the agencies that you moved through, yeah. or was it kind of the similar thing, it just called a different title? I mean, the, the framework of, you know, it's all a similar, I mean, it is all a similar thing. It's just a matter of um, what that particular business is looking to produce, mm -hmm. what, they're, what they're pitching in. So, for example, you know, starting in kind of the inner brand mode, when we say traditional planner, you know, a traditional planner is kind of your standard Qualiquant expert that's mm -hmm. going to write the brief at the beginning of the creative process, um, walk away <laughs> during the creative process, right. uh, do a lot of client, you know, FaceTime once ideas are made and, and go from there. And that mode of strategy personally is a di I think is a dying breed. And mm -hmm. I think even within the years that I've been in the industry, Titles just get made up all mm -hmm. the time, and the framework never changes. I mean, at the end of the day, you're grabbing insights, you're writing briefs, um, you're working kind of as the conduit between everything from account to creative to client, yep. and making sure that everyone's everyone's tracking. That framework is the same. The difference is, I would say, with roles like content, interactive, digital, and now where strategy has kind of gone back to being more general was that those roles essentially meant that this person actually knew how to make things mm -hmm. and that they would stay quite a bit closer to the creative process. Right. Uh, they would be involved with the creatives. And a lot of that came out of, you know, the internet having such a huge impact on how we communicate that mm -hmm. it, you know, to put any expectations that any one person is the expert isn't right. And right. then we had data and information readily available to help you know, change the direction or mm -hmm. optimize search. And there's so many interesting ways that you know, creativity can, can come out of that. So I think that's what those titles meant. And now it's like, I, when I talk to other planners, you, you almost like joke about the idea of seeing like a digital strategist. Yeah, it's like, what you're does like, that mean? You're like, yeah. everyone should be digital. Right. There's no separation of church and state. And in right. fact, <laughs> If you're a broadcast-only strategist, you're probably screwed right. out of a job. Right. Um, so that that's I think that those titles are just the nature of watching this industry right. change in such a short amount of time. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, that's how I would probably explain those. Yeah. I mean, what you're just saying about digital strategy it made me think of like I, I had an interview at like a big a big shop that 
this was like before I went to Firstborn, um, a big shop that, you know, kind of built itself as a digital agency at the time. You know, this was like six years ago or five years ago or something like that. And their feedback to me was, oh, you don't have enough digital experience. You know, we're looking for a digital strategist. And I just remember thinking, I'm like, what does that mean? Like, you know how to navigate a website or like yeah. you have a social media account? <laughs> like, like what exactly? It's are all you, like a UX designer. Yeah, yeah. It's like you. it's all about human behavior and how that translates to these new medium that yeah. medias that we we all use. Um, but to your point now, yeah, it's kind of broadened again because it's just like wherever the consumer is yeah. and what they're used like that's sort of where the strategy needs to kind of like water like flow into yeah. and kind of take that shape and whether it's digital or non-digital or, or experiential whatever or content yeah or interactive right. and I mean no one and no one has that naming right yeah which is funny because it's the industry that fancies itself prides itself and in, in naming yeah. things well yeah it seem to lock Name that <laughs> yeah yeah so you're currently director of marketing at Impossible Foods, and I really wanted to get into your current role. Um, but what was behind that decision, sort of mm-hmm. move from the agency world to, um, you know, in-house brand side? The decision to move in-house. It wasn't necessarily a decision. It was always something that, and it's a hard one for me to articulate because I never thought of myself as an ad person. Mm-hmm. Um, And I never thought of myself really as a marketer. You just happen to be someone who has an obscure talent for understanding people and information and then translating it to inspire and empower more people to take that information. Mm -hmm. So the transition itself was more so, I was actually really interested in the world of VC. I'm just completely fascinated by kind of all of the the money and the ideas and all of that flying around um, the world. I mean, and on, even in saying it, it just sounds like a bunch of irresponsible things. And I think <laughs> I, I, I really just wanted to see what was going on. So then I jumped over to um, a shop called West mm-hmm. that essentially was looking to do something pretty cool as far as taking this whole idea of creative and the mechanic of creative and the mechanic and the body that is marketing and bring that closer to the world of VC as a, as a packaged offering. Yeah. So, you know, you have an exchange for not only equity within the company, mm-hmm. but then we would function as, and this is common with most startups who don't have agencies or marketing teams. You, right. you, you kind of enter the, the body and build it out as mm-hmm. a consultant would, but it wasn't coming from the consultants of Bain or McKinsey. Sure. It was from the world of consultants who actually were on the, the agency, mm-hmm. um, the agency side of things. Right. So that was my gap and Impossible was actually my client. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's awesome. So they were my they were my client while I was at West and you know, we were tasked with working with them to not only build everything from identity to um, go to market strategy, mm-hmm. consumer targeting, I mean everything that you'd be doing within a standard agency, but also in partnership with your marketing department. Right. So building the framework of it, and then you know a really in, you know a really great offering about West was if there were talent that the company liked, they would be able to to cherry pick it. There's right. no there's a I mean California allows anyone to compete for for talent, um, but this was specifically chartered within the company. Mm. So 
as we came time to close the relationship because it was now time for the bird to, to fly. <laughs> fly on its own, yeah. Um, I ended up, did a little stint at Facebook for a bit and then jumped jumped back over to Impossible Foods. I actually am familiar with West because my husband, my now husband, used to work at Little Bits when we were at... Oh, wow. Yeah, when we were in New York City. And so he talked about West or coming in, like, exactly as you explained, like, coming in. And he worked in with, kind of, of Alex Howell. And, I'm not sure, yeah. like, exact names, but yeah, yeah, he um, he was there during that time. And so um, I remember when I saw it on your LinkedIn, I was like, oh, we have to we have to bring that up and, yeah. and mention that. But yeah, it's definitely a, a cool model and one that I think as the consulting world and the creative, you know, agency world just continues to, to merge and blend. Yeah. Um, I think one that, that makes a lot of sense. Can you talk a little bit about Impossible Foods itself? Kind of like yeah. what it is, what it's trying to do in the world. Yeah, I mean, Impossible Foods is, I, I feel, I always feel like I'm super obviously biased in saying this is <laughs> uh, an incredible company that's looking to, you know, revolutionize the way that human beings eat. Um, we recently launched our first product, the Impossible Burger, that many people, especially here in LA, know of. It's been a bit of a celebrity for the for the mm-hmm. past year, especially because we kicked it off with David Chang. Right. Um, yeah, and the product, you know, our first product, Impossible Burger, is just, you know, ground beef made entirely from plants, and mm-hmm. it looks, cooks, smells. You can make it into meatballs, you can make yeah. it into whatever form you like. Um, it's the first product we're about to market and hopefully as we bring it to more and more places eventually we'll get the world to start eating impossible meat mm-hmm. versus you know regular beef from a cow. Mm-hmm. And how, can you talk about how your role as um, director of marketing, how that ladders up to what Impossible is trying to do? Kind of what are your responsibilities and how do you work with the rest of the internal team yeah. to, to get Impossible Foods where it's trying to go. I mean, we, you know, we, me and team and even when I was at West, you know, the res- we knew the responsibility coming into this was obviously you're building, not only are you building a market from scratch, because the product in and of itself and products to come are nothing like, you know, the, the veggie burgers right. of, of old or the, yes. the kind of weird boxed eggs and all of those right or the milks that are, exist right now. We mm-hmm. we knew that the products that would be coming out would be completely revolutionary. So, you know, the first task is the massive task, which is build market. Obviously, in building market, you still have to build a discipline mm-hmm. from scratch. I mean, there was, before I came in, there was no one doing consumer marketing. We had no creative department. We right. had no... Um, we didn't have a website. We didn't, I mean, every single touch point that we're so used to encountering with established companies we've had to create quickly within you know a little over a year um and it was so funny i was sitting with my creative director last night and we were just looking back at the sheer amount of things that we've made in such a short amount of time that it's it's pretty astonishing so i think obviously my role is hugely important in the company because we're creating the demand Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's obviously an intangible and tangible thing as far as what demand creation looks like. And then we're also doing kind of your standard, you know, the standard work where, you know, I've got my content team, I've got my creative department, mm-hmm. production, um, brand managers. I mean, you've got the whole, the whole kind of lot of a standard marketing discipline. Right. 
who's kind of forging the way forward for this <laughs> this little soon to be gigantic hopefully billion dollar company yeah it's pretty cool it's exciting to kind of get in on the ground level and like you said i'm sure what you were doing at the beginning of your time at impossible foods in your role was probably vastly different than someone coming into you know a well-established brand yeah um and probably you're probably doing a lot of things that fall outside of the <laughs> responsibilities of a director of marketing if you're kind of building the discipline up yeah. and and um kind of helping put the infrastructure in place so that you can operate like you know a fully functioning market department and doing all the things that you need to do but that's yeah. I mean it's it's so it's great when you can have so much ownership or agency within within something yeah. that you're working on I mean if I find that within agency teams like if I can feel if I felt like I had a say or some hand in like the direction of that the agency was going mm-hmm. overall not just the individual projects that I was on yeah. you know I'm going to feel a lot more fulfilled <laughs> than just clocking in and doing you know yeah, and taking in going yeah I think I mean, on the agency front, since I know your listeners are I mean, curious, obviously, about both sides, mm-hmm. I would say, you know, I wouldn't have been able to be successful in the role I am now had I have not been an agency. And then, you know, the reason behind that is, you know, the great thing about being at an agency is that you get to see and experience so many different types of problems. Yep. And problems ranging from my business has gone this direction and help save it or... We have too many of that type of person buying this product. What, right. what more can we do? Or even just understanding client, I mean, broader client needs, issues, departments, all of that. Uh, the coolest thing about having been from an agency was that I had the ability to have seen a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that as we started to structure and think about what we needed to do and who we needed to hire and what we needed to make, you know, you had so many reference points to pull from yeah. uh, that made it. I'd say a lot easier to do than had I have come from kind of the the ranks of of marketing at yeah. one to two companies. Right. Uh, and obviously, there's, there's pluses and minuses to both because sure. structure, understanding structure, being deeply embedded in the marketing structure is valuable. But I would say agency gives you this really nice sampler platter right. of a whole bunch of different ways into a problem, and they train you that way. Right. Um, so I think that that made the role much easier to digest to start yeah how about on the flip side is there anything now that you've sort of in the role of client or brand you know brand side in-house is there any like advice that you would share with your former self at an agency (laughs) or agency current agency teams on how to better work with their clients yeah i mean i think that the, the most interesting thing that I've realized is that I didn't, on the agency side, have enough empathy for my clients. Um, you often, it's kind of like the, I hate saying the saying, but it's like the saying of like the shit rolls downhill, right? Yeah. If yeah. something is needed or goes wrong, like it's coming at you hot, yeah. 7 p.m., right? throw your dinner plans aside and stay, stay late type of thing with agency. And... I think in that moment you f- you feel that and you think you know it comes from a place of a client not appreciating you or being disorganized and then when you're on the flip side of it when those moments happen I fully realize like I'm at my wits end yeah. to that point so it's I think it's hard when you're on the agency end because it's it's coming at you as a an ask or a demand that's taking yeah. you in a place that's that's not um 
ideal, but then on the client side, when you're putting things out like that, assuming that you're, you know, a pretty well behaved client, it's right. usually it's usually because you're 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 drowning and that's yeah. that's really common, I would say. Um, right. You don't wanna be doing it that to your agency partner. No, you don't yourself. want to be doing it to your agency partner yourself, but I think it's hard on the other side yeah. of it to fully understand that until you flipped over to the client side and on the client side the breadth of problems yes. and things that you encounter right. is so much wider the chain effect is so much wider and that's I mean that's why we have agencies is because we simplify mm-hmm. the ask for them I mean and I think that's what's beautiful and important about it but at the same time you you know the brief is God the creative idea is God right. and that's pretty much the thing that you have to push push out versus on the marketing side you know if budgets are shifting if supply is shifting if sales isn't aligned if the creative idea isn't doing it there's this massive ripple effect that then you have to right kind of put your arms around right more and if i had if i had known that on the agency side i would have been better to better to better prepare my clients better pitch my clients um if I had that empathy from understanding it, it would have I would have provided probably more cohesive briefs and at least understood the need of a really good wrap up report or mm-hmm. what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really great advice. I mean, not everyone can have that experience yeah. of being on the client side. Not everyone will go that route, but I mean, I can I can definitely see, especially thinking about what the, the thing that you're focusing on at the agency is like one tiny sliver of the, you know, what's on your client's plate. Yeah. And, and I think you bringing up the sort of um, like domino effect that that little sliver has on, on other things and then, you know, it's not in isolation that the yeah. client, or it's not in a vacuum that a client is judging your work or reacting to your work. So, or, you know, even yeah. their mood when they come in the room, it's like not, it's not always you. It's, yeah. you know, everything else they've had to deal with that day. Yeah. But they don't teach you that on the agency side, nor do they. No, nor does anyone really talk about it. I think it's one of those interesting things now being out of it, yeah. where I feel like they, you know, we could have always done a bit better job training and preparing people to understand business yes. more. Um, and agencies are obviously getting there. I mean, they're realizing that they can't win the accounts unless you know the the pitch impacts the business in some way. It can't yeah. impact just a print ad or right. whatever <laughs> right. uh, that doesn't work that way anymore but yeah I, I really think that there needs to be programming on that side of things to help people just understand how to make their work and ideas much more effective because I mean for example when I get a great idea for my agency you know the, the that's like the work starts then for me right right, right. Uh, I have to take it through every room every meeting every different personality from legal to the executive to the sales team to my creative team. Uh, And in that agency's not having, they don't often prepare their client to, to take that next step, Mm -hmm. which is selling the work. Right. So that's, that's really interesting. Mm. Yeah. I, I mean, I've had some experience in the past too of, of yeah, it's like you you partner with your clients to come up with a great idea and that's great, rah rah. But then, like you said, it's like that's really only half of it. And you know, the more that you are able to, whether it's educating your client or you know helping them create the presentation that they can then take, which is 
usually very different from the creative presentation that you gave them because yeah. it's just a totally different audience that they're they're trying to sell the idea through and kind of yeah seeing that extra layer of work that that goes into it I mean can could definitely help teams be better partners to yeah. their clients you know even if they're not explicitly asking for it I mean it couldn't hurt to be like just ask like is there anything we can do to to help you help you <laughs> go from point a to point b right and yeah clients often won't ask for it because it's just a standard expectation that you're not going to you're 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 on your own from there right it's time it's time for you to think about how to restructure this idea for the 15 different people that right. need to that have to buy into it buy into it yeah um, based on your experience kind of shifting gears and thinking about strategy overall. What do you think are some of the most important skills or traits for people to start to kind of foster within themselves um, yeah. in order to pursue strategy overall? Not to say that there's one type of person that mm-hmm. can be a strategist, but I guess in your own experience, what have you found to be the skills and traits within yourself that that make you great at what you do? Yeah, I think the first thing is stop calling yourself a strategist because I think that puts expectations around what and who you're supposed to be. Uh, it doesn't mean that you flip one day and call yourself a creative, sure. but the second you start thinking about yourself in a box, you're going to be in a box. Mm-hmm. Uh, and where I've been able to be most successful in, you know, in my career is under, like understanding creatives, understanding production, understanding account. I mean, you're as much responsible for each of those mm-hmm. pieces of the puzzle as you are for your own work in your brief. And I think strategists, and this is kind of where we go back to the titles swinging all over the place. Yeah. You know, they were always expected to be this one part of the puzzle, but now they can really be a part of a whole bunch of different puzzles. Mm-hmm. So thinking of yourself more so as a, as a, a mix of each output is mm-hmm. important. I would also say strategists who 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 hustle, like be in the room, talk to your creatives, do more for your creatives, understand what you can do for your account, mm-hmm. work with your producers. I mean, I think being on the marketing side, you like you are producing. That is that is the complete radical shift that you do where yeah. you're um, you're no longer thinking and making decks. Right. I mean, when I make a deck, it's like cathartic now. <laughs> and I take great joy in being able to have time to yeah. do that right. um, versus spending more time you know, reviewing proposals, looking at budgets, right. making sure that something's on strategic brief, that some project hasn't like completely spun off the rails somewhere. Uh, and that's, I mean, that's the big shift. So I think strategists to be more successful and to be more valuable, frankly, should stop thinking that they just have to be a strategist Mm -hmm. um and that that will get you there yeah i love that advice i mean especially if someone does want to make that shift from strategy or or anything i guess but we're talking strategy specifically into marketing or within you know functioning within a marketing team too i feel like it's even more valuable to kind of have that kind of wider skill set to your point so that you can slide into a role that where you are producing more just be familiar with like that world and yeah. that side of it. Yeah, and I think it, it helps f- 
free us a little bit from, I feel like when we talk about strategy and, and being a strategist, there's this certain expectation, like you mentioned, that you put on yourself that everything that you say has to be like so brilliant and insightful and that it has to be really grounded in like solid research that Truth you've done. Research. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. And sometimes, sometimes it's a lot messier than, I mean, especially if you're working on a client with a small budget or you're at a shop that doesn't have all the resources to mm-hmm. Simmons and all this stuff. Like sometimes you're kind of working on intuition with like a few hints out there from yeah. like what you've been looking at. I don't know. It, it's a lot. Anyways, going back to what you were saying, I, I think not defining ourselves as strategists lifts that expectation a little yeah. bit and allows you to talk with about this with um, junior strategists a lot too about like that half thoughts are valuable too, partial thoughts are valuable too, because you never know what it's going to spark in someone else. And when that expectation is lifted, I think we're much more willing to just say what's on our mind, even if Mm it doesn't sound super eloquent or or great in the moment. Um, Anyways, it just made me think about that. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one because where strategy has been a super huge kind of strong point for me, what strategy is incredible at is organizing information in a way that's um, un- that is easily understood and legible. And I don't quite know what you would call that person, but right. for example, that, that particular skill is, it's, a, it's an important one when you're on the business side because there's a lot of pieces coming at you and understanding how to quickly spin together mm-hmm. A narrative or a plan, frankly, is yeah. what ends up planning actually comes back into <laughs> into a lot of it. Um, but ever, and I know this is going back to what skills to have, but I think being able to quickly and easily synthesize information in a one sheeter, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, decks are great, but if you can do it in one page, that's that's the dream. Even better, yeah. I forgot about that. That's really, <laughs> I was going to say that. I'm like, this is, we push, push, push to, to make everything so much more simple and succinct. And that actually is incredibly valuable for for any client as well. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like not the easiest thing either. I mean, it seems, sounds like, oh, we're simplifying. So yeah. you're making it easier. But the process of making it easier and choosing like what's actually important out of everything, like you said, that's coming at you. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a, that's definitely a skill that I think needs to be honed. Yeah. You know? So last thing I want to talk about before we get to our last advice question. So you made the move to San Francisco from mm-hmm. New York a couple years ago. I wanted to know how you feel about, or how you would describe the San Francisco sort of ad startup scene yeah. out there. I mean, just like the advice that was given to me, I think everyone needs to spend their 20s in New York. You can spend your 30s anywhere else. <laughs> but if you are going in, to, if you want to go into advertising and creative and you want to sidestep even things like an MBA, mm-hmm. you have to go to New York City. I mean, it's just, it's a fire hose of information. It's a fire hose of inspiration. It's your, I mean, the majority of what is important in our role is knowing people and you're able to meet so many of your kin. And I think, whereas you get over to a place like San Francisco and you've got a whole bunch of different people from different backgrounds. So it's hard. It's kind of like when we see each other, like two unicorns in the forest, strategists are like, hello, (laughs) other brain that I know. Um, 
those few and far between. Mm. So you don't get the cluster, the hive mind here as yeah. much, which has its benefits and its drawbacks. But I would say the the benefit of that when you're young in your career and being able to be around so many like-minded people yeah. only make you stronger because you have people who know how to push and challenge you uh, in a way that your brain works. Yeah. And that's, it's just centralized in New York City. The, I mean, the creative is is stronger out there. On the client side, I'm like, the creative is more affordable out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then coming into San Francisco, you know, you've got a lot of people working for the same type of client. Yeah. Um, so I would say it's it's still good, it's still great, but if I'm, you know, same advice I had when I was young, you have to go to New York, even if it's just for a year. Yeah. It's like a supercharge for you in anywhere you go in the future. Right. It kind of gives you this bite and edge that also, like, when now when I'm in San Francisco and I see, a, like, a New York marketer, I can know, I know that's a New York marketer from a mile right. away. <laughs> Just, like, you can feel, like, the snap yeah. and the quick attention to detail, the cutting through the bullshit. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, you can feel that. And then you kind of have this, like, weird unicorn camaraderie moment yeah. where you're like, oh. Yeah. We're going to think the exact same. time in New York, yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. I think, too, the... The density of people, I mean, in all the boroughs, but in Manhattan specifically, where a lot of this happens, it just exposes you to so many different shades of humanity. And I'm not just talking about from like a diversity standpoint, but just so many walks of life and experience on display, like out in yeah. front of you on the subway, on the streets and stuff like that, where in California, you know, we don't really get that. I mean, you can hear the traffic from here, probably on the recording, but like you... Still sounds like New York. <laughs> a little bit, right? But like, you know, we're all in our cars and you just don't, you don't see it and brush up against yeah. the kind of like what I think of as like humanity, which I think is so important as, especially a strategist, but you know, in, in working in this kind of creative field yeah. that is so based on people and what they're thinking and what they're motivated by and that was always in addition to all the like cultural stimuli that's there was something that really fed me in New Mm -hmm. York in my specific role you know working in advertising so and I yeah I don't know where else you can get that in the states I mean I didn't like I didn't learn anything from I didn't work in San Francisco advertising so I don't right right it's kind of like I've had them pitch to me yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah and that was getting the the flavor, yeah, the flavor of it. But yeah, I think it's, or if it's London, uh, being a part of those communities is why it's wildly important. Mm-hmm. It's paying tremendous dividends for me in my role now. Yep. Even in that, you know, now my friend is like head of content at MTV or right. VP at Sweetgreen, and you've got all of these amazing personalities that you essentially like hustled with right in such amazing points in their career and you can all look back you know on that moment when it was you had nothing and you'd go home and like eat a can of beans right (laughs) you made it work and you made it work yeah and hope to god that there was some industry event where there was a bit of free booze (laughs) available (laughs) so you could at least not spend an extra 45 dollars on booze yeah so let's wrap this up the last question we always ask is the best piece of advice that you've ever been given. If you haven't already covered it, I know you talked about several pieces of advice yeah. throughout our conversation. The best piece of advice that I was ever given. Hang on. I, this is where I should have been more prepared for this. <laughs> That's okay. This is actually it's a, hard, it's a really hard question. 
Because there's been so many different people yeah, right. <laughs> that have given you It could be advice. one that you come back to a lot. It doesn't have to be the best, I guess. That's kind of like a heavy title to put on any one piece of advice. Or advice that you commonly share with other people who reach out. Uh, you, I think probably the one that I come back to a lot now, and you don't understand it until, you know, you're, you've kind of been beaten up a little bit over the years, but um, you don't have to react to everything now and immediately. Um, I think the power of no and wait is very important and it's, an, it's a tough skill to learn when you're young because you're always getting things thrown at you yeah. uh, at any given time but I think the most important thing I've learned from that advice is there's actually an important moment in actually giving yourself headspace and time to react and think to something and that's when you think about being a strategist that's where we perform the best mm-hmm. and it's hard to protect that moment but that's probably some of the best advice I've ever gotten was to never you know, don't send the email, wait till tomorrow. Yeah. Also, the other piece of advice that we all have is it's just advertising and marketing. Nobody's going to die. <laughs> yeah. Unless, of course, it's a really complex set. And yeah. yes, there's somebody, you know, careening down a <laughs> building because of some terrible idea that, that someone had. had. <laughs> um, then maybe, but yeah. otherwise, no. Um, yeah. And I, I, I've brought that into where I'm at more than, than I ever have um like I said, it's, you know, flipping to the client side, there's a lot coming at you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, take your time. Oh, this is great advice to end on. And I, I really appreciate you sharing both perspectives from the agency side and, and the client side. I think it, I think people will get a lot out of kind of hearing that transition and hearing, you know, what's relevant and what's different. So thank you so much. Of course. I hope it's helpful for, for everyone. I think, like I said, the agency, I mean, it's my route, so it's my bias. You sure. The agency route is is a really great route. Uh, also, like unicorns in the forest, when you see on the client side someone who came from agency, right. <laughs> then you're like, oh, we're going to actually speak of the same language. Right. <laughs> um, and typically you'll find that the, the agency folks are, are the hustlers. They're the ones who are going to... They're going to get real dirty in whatever mess <laughs> someone or they created. <laughs> <laughs> So where can people keep up with you or Impossible Foods on, yeah. online? Uh, shameless plug from a brand because yeah. I love that brand. Yeah, at please. Impossible underscore foods on Instagram. We have a delicious Instagram page. And then um, follow me. You can find me on LinkedIn. My name mm-hmm. is Jordan Shank. And if you want to follow me on Instagram where I'm most active, my name is Jordan Meowry. <laughs> uh, well, it's M-O-E-W-R-I-E. I'll have to just follow you. I don't think I'm following you on, on but yeah. it would be great to keep up with you and keep in touch so that, like, it's not another five years before I see I know. you again. Well, we're, like I said, we're doing all these impossible things, all these events now, and now that I have your email, yeah, I'll invite you out to one of these. I can't wait hokey burger parties that we have <laughs> that are amazing. No, I can't wait. That sounds so fun. The best. Awesome. Well, thank you again. Thank you. A huge thank you to Jordan. I feel like she's become the woman she looked up to when she first got her start, and I can't wait to see what Impossible Foods does next. I'm currently looking for guest contributors to our weekly email, so if you feel like you have advice that you want to share based on your own experience, hit me up. 
It's a one-time thing meant to be super easy, and I'll say that the most popular emails to date have been written by junior talent one to three years into their career, so you don't have to have a ton of years under your belt to contribute, and I'd love to get you involved. Advice is so much better shared. Leave us a review on iTunes or share the podcast with a friend. And while you're at it, sign up for our weekly email. It's a small dose of advice and insight delivered Mondays. New York, I'm coming for you. I'm Natalie, and until next time, you got this. Thank you.